Hear that? That's the sound of a patient whose health data is protected from a cyber attack. And that, that's the sound of a financial system that's digitally secured from bad actors. Right now, there's an invisible war being fought on a digital battlefield that impacts what we do every day. That's why at Paraton, we do the can't be done to help protect the vital systems we rely on. Because if we don't, the alternative is unimaginable. Paraton. If you enjoyed this show, then make sure you check out the other great shows on the Legion Podcast Network, like Cinema PsyOps, Cinema Beef, Devour the Podcasts, Duncan and Bo Come Correct, Exploding Heads Horror Movie Podcast, Friday the 13th, Get Slayed, The Hell Ming Power Hour, Hello, This is the Doom Show, Hero Hero Ghost Show, Kill the Cast, Underwater Kaiju from Outer Space, Jerry Hates Action, Legion After Dark, Mental Health, Obsessive Cinema, Discourse, Pick Six Movies, The Podcast by the Cemetery, The Podcast on Haunted Hill, The Psycho Semantic Podcast, Rick Radio, House of Wax, Dude Looks Like the 80s, Rabbit and Red Radio, The Shadecast, Short Bus Cinema, Two Drink Minimum Commentaries, The VD Clinic, Who Will Survive Horror Podcast, and Witch vs. the Doomsday Clock. With such a widespread of shows, there is guaranteed to be a niche for you to fall in love with. Horror, politics, movies, books, sex, music, commentaries, health, video games, kaiju, action, news, comedy, and opinions that would most likely get you killed in some parts of the world. We are proud to bring you some of the best podcasting in the world. Check us out at www.legionpodcast.com, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, YouTube, and any other dark corner of the internet where podcasts can be found. Welcome to Rabbit and Red Radio. I am one of your hosts. I am John Spooky Rhodes, and joining me, as always, is none other than the morbid Michael J. Oh, God, you're going with the fucking um, Instagram name, you know? Is there a way to change the Instagram name? I have no idea. Like, can you... I wonder if you can do that, because maybe I should change it to... To um, I don't know something else. Um, you know, I'm wearing my Sunday Show shirt today. I don't know if you saw that in the brief video time that we were on, but I have the Sunday Show shirt on today. Well, you are the only person to purchase one, so I, I certainly was, and I got my two dollar commission, and that was fine. All right, Mike, so how have you been in our interlude? Ah, well, um, the dog has, has gotten somewhat better, although at night he is still not fun. 
he uh, likes to at least now bark and whine in the crate for about 45 or so minutes. Um, so later today we're actually going to try to crate him because everybody's going out and because Otto, the other dog, has a grooming appointment. So we'll be going out with him and I will be alone in the house with Toby. And it's weird because every time I say that I think of Toby from Paranormal Activity. Um, but, uh, so they're deciding to, uh, crate him today and they're saying that I can't give him any sort of attention whatsoever, which is difficult for me because with, with the, the puppies and the dogs and such, when I walk by them, I have to talk to them and I don't talk to them like they're a puppy. I talk to them like they're a human person. I'm like, hey bud, how you doing? How you doing, buddy? You're my buddy, right? Buddy? Yeah, right? I do that all the time to them. So, it's going to be very difficult. Uh, but I did get that new Stephen King book, uh, The Institute, that just came out um, on September 10th. So maybe I'll start reading that today. I don't know. Well, there you go. I uh, I actually just purchased the audiobook of Dr. Sleep. Um, uh, now, did you read the I wanted to book or no? I, I did, and I wanted to refresh myself, but the problem is is that uh, I, I was uh, uh, working my way through the book mm -hmm. again, and... You fell asleep. Um, no, no. Uh, I actually have a, a new thermos for work, and it leaked and destroyed the book. Aww. So I'm just going to pick up the audio book, and I think it'll be easier for me to just kind of blow through it that you way. You should have told me. I still had my copy. I think I got. I think I got rid of it since the move, but I still had it prior to that. I could have given it to you. It's hardback. Yeah. Hard no big deal. No big deal. Did you now? How do you not fall asleep during that book? Why did? How did you not find that incredibly boring? Uh, I think it's much in vain with normal Stephen King. Uh, he takes a long time to build up, and then the action begins. Right, but no, I've read other Stephen King books that I've, you know, vastly enjoyed. Um, you know, but that book just it, it just didn't do it for me. I don't know. I mean, the movie looks great. I saw the trailer for the film. The movie, I, I'm going to see that. That looks incredible, but the book, I just don't see it. Um, I don't know. I'm really excited for the movie. I like that they're blurring the lines between the Stanley Kubrick Shining and the book universe. So I, I greatly appreciate that. And I, I'm to the film. Uh, but no, I, I really think it, it is kind of one of those things that it just uh, it either hooks you or it doesn't. And um, usually with me, I, I get more hooked by the the big Stephen King ones like um, Needful Things I thought was excellent but you know it, it takes a long time for that to get going um, uh, Salem's Lot I, is probably my favorite I think of Stephen King's mm -hmm. and I know that's one that people really struggle to get through because again it takes like two three hundred pages for shit to get rolling ah uh. Now, the Institute, um, that runs about, uh, 576 pages, so I'm wondering what the, um, 
action threshold with that will be, but we'll find out soon enough. Yeah, um, I mean, he has he has done other works where he completely uh, tosses that out the window, like Cell. Um, I mean, like fucking chapter two or three, you're you're getting people's skulls bashed in and shit. So, well, and the stand, you know, I I may be in the minority. I don't know, but I kind of liked the stand for whatever reason. You know, I uh, I never actually finished it. Yeah, I mean, I don't think that I totally finished it, but I got very close to the end. I think I got within a hundred pages of the end, actually. Uh, I, I, I know I didn't finish it. Um, I was, I was just buried into it, and nothing was really grabbing me. I just I just put it down and meant to come back to it, and I just never have. No, the, I will. I will at some point, but I just haven't gone back to it yet. And the miniseries is getting a Blu-ray release on September 29th, I think. Yeah, but what's more exciting to me is they're actually remaking it. Well, yeah. I mean, I, I did see that. Um, I mean, I'll watch it. I think it's it's going to be on that CBS All Access, which, yay, I have it. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I I still like the original though. That oh, the original good. is good, but uh, I I I'm intrigued by the fact that we're getting another Skarsgård, and the uh, the role of our antagonist. I think that's going to be quite interesting. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, true. Plus, he was really good in Garden State. Oh, well, he's he's just good, period. But um, speaking of Stephen King, uh, let's let's hit it real quick. Yeah. Uh, I know you saw it. I mm. saw it. So let's discuss it, Chapter Two, here real briefly. Yes, please, Mike. Um, I know I saw it first. I think I actually saw it opening day, and I believe you saw it. Uh, a day or two after, correct? I saw it uh, Monday. It came out Friday, I guess it was, and I saw it the Monday after. Okay. Alright, so, just being curious, what did you think of it? Um, I, I know that you texted me prior and you said you're going to hate it. And I was like, hmm, now I'm intrigued because you think I'm going to hate it. Um, and I don't think I, I told you my thoughts on it since then, because I figured I'd You get, did not at all. Yes, because I figured I'd get to, to explain them here and express them here and, and, and you know, let you know. Um, I did not hate it. Um, I definitely thought the first one was a little better. Um, a little scarier, also. Um, I felt that this was a little drug out at points. I think they could have maybe... You know, and, and here's coming from someone who doesn't like to edit whatsoever. But I do feel that they could have trimmed some of it down. Um, I did like the some. Well, I did like the casting of the adults. I thought that that was a um, um, you know, uh, very well done, very good. Um, and plus, I saw it in that 4DX, and the way that those fucking seats moved at times and whipped you the fuck around. I felt like I was going to fly the fuck out of the seat on occasion. I, I, uh, I really, now, now, my little... 
I, I literally, I, I, I had an, an honest, um, organic green tea that I was drinking during the film, and during one of the sequences, I stupidly picked up the, the tea and I was drinking it, and because the seat was jostling around so violently, the tea went up my nose, and it was just not fun. Now, I'm, I might have made a little remark about the editing, but uh, overall, I actually really enjoyed this. Um, I don't think it's quite as strong as Chapter 1. However, I still did enjoy it, and I think it's quite strong. Uh, I do agree with you, Mike, that I, I think it, it could be edited some. Um, like uh, the, the opening scene, I, I think is a little needless. I, I think we could have streamlined that a whole hell of a lot and just cut that entire scene. Um, and I, I, I think that they had, they felt, they felt it necessary to go back and retcon some shit that happened in the first one to tie it closer to the book mm -hmm. and, and put some of that shit in this movie. Honestly, cut it, in my opinion. Like, oh, the clubhouse fun. was never mentioned, yeah. and I don't think it should have even been in this film. I think that should have been cut. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. I think... I think the shifting back and forth between the child and the adult, I really don't think that that was needed because it just kind of, in a sense, it took me out of it. Like, you know, it should have just focused on the adult losers, not the, not the bouncing back and forth. I mean, I get it, but not necessary. I, I... While I agree with you, I think some of the uh, more effective scares were actually with the kids. And while I say that, uh, I actually found this chapter to have more effective scares and more effective emotional beats to it than chapter one. I, I've seen chapter one I, uh, three times, four times now, and I actually watched it the night before I went and watched chapter two, and I've that was my biggest complaint after seeing it even in theaters. I never found Chapter 1 scary. It never once got to me. It never once affected me. Whereas this one I thought actually had some... It never scared me, but it had some effective moments where it made me a little tense. Well, and I, I thought they did well with that. Yeah. Um, that being said, I think you could trim an easy 20 minutes out of this film. Right. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you. I think you could do that. Um, plus, it did have, you know, kind of like a darker, more depressing tone than the, um, than chapter one. Uh, I agree. Um, also, I know we're being cryptic here, and for those of you that have seen it, you'll, you'll understand this, but uh, I think chapter one changed up quite a bit and kind of streamlined some stuff. Mm -hmm. I think chapter two would have benefited had they done the same thing where as chapter two feels much closer tied to the novel uh i think if they had done like chapter one and kind of streamlined and smoothed out and you know kind of grounded it a bit more I, I think that would have benefited it like uh case in point in chapter one when they defeat pennywise he falls down that drain pipe mm -hmm. that's in the sewer right okay worked perfect i have no problem with that mm -hmm. all right chapter two when they go to find pennywise's lair they go through this uh 
trap door that was never established in chapter one. Why not just use that drain pipe that he fell down? Yeah, that would. Why not simply use that? Yeah, that I don't understand. That that kind of doesn't make sense. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. Is is stuff that hasn't been established. Just uh, granted, it was in the book. Doesn't mean it has to be in your fucking movie. Mm-hmm. This is an adaptation of that work. Right. And chapter one was highly successful and took a lot of liberties. Yeah. I mean, did it hit the same beats and everything? Yes. And that's the point of it. Whereas this one felt almost beholden to the source material. And I, I think it, it falters a little because of that. I think if they had gone closer to the route of chapter one, it would have been more successful and more effective. Um, that being said, also, I didn't understand the the impulse that they went so crazy with the um, with the the CGI. Uh, uh, I'm going to point out two cases um, when Bill is grabbed in the sewer, and we just get hand after hand after hand grabbing him. Mm-hmm. Why? That was never a scare that we were afraid for Bill. So why go over the top like that? Why not just show Pennywise grab him? And since we're not afraid, why not show Pennywise, while he's holding him, just lick his fucking hand? Because that's creepy. That'll at least get an effect out of him. And we already know Pennywise has the big tongue, and he likes fear. So why not just have him lick the hand and... Fear. What? Why not do something more in that line? Or... Well, I see you're auditioning to uh, replace Bill Skarsgård in... Uh, oh, he, fuck no. I, he He's still fantastic. I thought his voice was a little different in this one, but still, a highlight. Um, But Bill Hader, uh, holy shit, was he phenomenal in this. Oh, yes, and, I, and the funny thing is, I had just watched him in the HBO show Barry um, prior to seeing Chapter 2. Like, I had, I mean, I knew of Bill Hader, but I had not really seen him in anything. But I watched him on that show, and then I saw him in this, and i got to tell you, he is a phenomenal actor. For being a comedian and whatnot, he is phenomenal. Yeah, I was I was really impressed with him. Uh, but that, that's enough It. Um, do you want to toss out a rating for It, Mike? Um, Chapter 2? I'd still give it a solid four out of five. Four out of five? Now, see, uh, I'm the one that bashed it more, but I'm actually going to go four and a half out of five. Uh, I really enjoyed it, but it's not a perfect film. There's a lot that could be uh, fixed. But then again, it still affected me. It affected me more than the original. Uh, Maybe because I'm now an adult, so Mm -hmm. a lot of the adult themes and stuff kind of hit home to me. Or I... Thought the the tension and the scares were a little better, or both. But either way, I go four and a half. Rounds up to a five, but you take it. Uh, how does something that's a half, right dead in the middle, round up? That doesn't make sense. Um, that's I'm why going, it's. I'm just going to math class, and the way that it is, if it was a below a five, it rounds down. If it's a five or above, it rounds up. Yeah. Well, seeing as how we go by Joe Bob rules, it's right in the middle with four and a half. Um, but with all that said, uh, I don't really want to talk about it any longer. 
Um, we're kind of getting into the fall season. We just put slasher summer behind us. I mean, the leaves around here are just starting to drop and change. Are they? They're not and, and, you know, the candies come out. Uh, I, I've had my uh, mystery flavor voodoo, which I think is quite good. Wait, um, what? Mystery flavor of Mountain Dew? Yeah, yeah. What does it taste like? It's a mystery, Mike. Yeah, but I don't drink Mountain Dew. Well, here's a little... Th- I'll give everyone a little hint. Okay. It tastes like liquid candy corn. That's right, people. Candy corn. Oh. That's a nice little segue. Um, I've been enjoying my candy corn. Mm. Uh, the autumn mix. Actually, not too bad. Uh, and... Most importantly, candy corn M&M's because they are delicious with my voodoo Mountain Dew. So, having said all of that, join us right after this break with Josh Hasty, where we discuss his upcoming film, Candy Corn. In a world gone mad. As you know, the doomsday clock is a symbolic clock face analogizing humankind's proximity to extinction. One man must fight to survive on the global junkie of the future. You maniacs! You blow it up! Ah, damn you! God damn you all to hell! Which? Versus the Doomsday Clock is that man's story. His search for entertainment is transmitted across time and space for your listening pleasure on iTunes, Stitcher, Podbean, and your Android device. This podcast is not fit for human consumption. Some effects include laughter, concern, nausea, vomiting, and blame for more purposes. The producers accept our responsibility for any side effects, or if they're frank, you might cause. My effect guarantees with nothing. Zero, 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 uh, I roll, no sausage. In short, you get nothing. Nothing. Good day, sir. Thank you so much for actually taking the time, uh, Josh, to sit down and speak with us. Thanks for having me. Oh, man, it, it, the pleasure is all ours. I mean, uh, I've, I've really been looking forward to candy corn for quite some time now. Good. Glad to hear that. <laughs> well, <laughs> it, it kind of came across my radar because you guys did a really uh, inventive way of fundraising for it, at least in my opinion, because you didn't do the typical uh, Indiegogo, GoFundMe, anything like that. You you kind of reached out to the, the maker of products that us horror genre fans really gravitate to and... and, and kind of worked with them to raise funds and uh man that was just ingenious well thank you thank you (laughs) yeah it was uh that was actually just sort of out of necessity i mean you know we had justin mabry who's the co-owner of trick-or-treat studios was one of the first people on board and so he made the you know the the mask that we used for the crowdfunding video and his partner, Chris Zephro, saw it and was just like, hey, this this is something we could sell. And then that led to talking to Ben at Fright Rags. And then, yeah, it was like we posted a couple of them. And to me, it was just like, you know, when you're raising money to make a movie, especially like this, 
everything counts. You know, every penny counts. Every little piece of effort that you put toward it, um, you know, goes a little bit away toward the finish line. So I was just doing it out of let's let's get stuff out there. And obviously, it was I was very aware of how fortunate I was to have people like Fright Rags and Trick or Treat on board and, and behind my idea. But once we started posting stuff all these other companies started reaching out to me on Instagram and were like, Hey, you know, we, we would like to help out as well. And so, yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty wild how, how it all came together. Yeah. I mean, because, um, somehow it kind of escaped my attention and then I just got an email one day from Fright Rags talking about it. It's like, what the hell is this? So I ended up going to the page and watching the video and everything. And then, and I was just blown away. I mean, the, the whole presentation and everything on the page sold me 100%. And then you had kick-ass designs from Fright Rags. You had an amazing mask on Trick or Treat. And I was hooked from that point then. I was hooked and uh, been looking forward to this film getting its release. Well, thank you, man. Yeah, it's really good to hear. We're finally there. <laughs> so... Uh, what was kind of the, the genesis of this project? Where, where did it come from? Well, I mean, I've always wanted to do something that took place where I'm from in Ohio. Uh, so, you know, I've, I've done a ton of little self-funded, no-budget, whatever you want to call it, indie projects that have been shorts and features, uh, just little projects that you, you know, everybody does in the beginning get your friends and family together just to shoot and i grew up in this little town called loveland ohio and it always reminded me of haddonfield ever since i was you know first saw uh, john carpenter's halloween just had this vibe and i was always gravitated towards especially in the fall time i don't know uh, if you've ever been to the midwest or specifically ohio in the autumn season but it's it's magical and there's just something spooky and eerie about it, and I, I was always, like I said, just gravitated toward that. And so I wanted to do something that took place there, and I had just finished this documentary that I did on Rob Zombie's 31, and coming off of that, I was fortunately in a position to be able to do kind of what I wanted with you know, people who were a little more experienced than just the friends and family I had been doing projects with. So when I was working on 31, I met a lot of amazing people. So like the production designer ended up becoming my production designer. Uh, we got Pancho Moeller, who obviously was in 31. And all of a sudden, just from talking to these guys at lunch and getting to know them, I was like, all right, well, now I have a team of people that can do something and they like me and I like them. So what can I do? And then it just went to the classic, write what you know. And I thought this was an opportunity, you know, to, to write the sort of story that took place in this place that I've always been inspired by. And so that was sort of, you know, the genesis, if you will. And then the actual story came from, again, a lot of personal experience of, just uh, as I'm sure most people listening to this can relate to, just being an outcast, you know, be feeling like, 
especially coming from as romantic as I'm making, you know, little towns in Ohio sound. If you're the kid who, you know, is uh, dressing in black all the time and wears eyeliner in eighth grade and all the stuff that I did to try to be like my heroes that I saw in magazines and TV, it's not, it was not accepted or cool by any means. And so I had so much uh, just you know, experience with feeling like everyone around me didn't get it. And so that's sort of just, uh, that's how it started. And then as I started writing the script, when we, when you mentioned the crowdfunding campaign. When I shot that, I only had three pages of the script written. Like, I really didn't know what this thing was going to be yet. I had the idea, and I sort of had my treatment, but these characters weren't really fleshed out. Their motives weren't fleshed out. And so, you know, we basically we were raising very, very, very little money. And the objective was get whatever we can and let's just make this thing because we love making films. And those three pages that we shot got the attention of Courtney Gaines, which led to PJ and led to Tony. And that ultimately is what made the film become this, you know, as serious or as popular as it is right now uh was was because of all this so it sort of snowballed and um you know my my final sort of objective was if i'm shooting in the place that i grew up that i've always wanted to shoot in i'm finally working with really talented people who do this for a living and now you know this is before i had the big cast but i still had poncho and courtney at this point the objective for the script was inject as much of what I love about Halloween as a season and horror as a genre into this. And that really, once I decided that and sort of just inherently started putting in what I love from Phantasm and Puppet Master and John Carpenter's Halloween and, you know, The Fog and just the list goes on of all these movies that I love, it just, it started writing itself. And so, uh, yeah. That's the long genesis of it. <laughs> well, you definitely, you know, were, were boasting some, some lofty fucking titles there. But uh, <laughs> not only that, you brought up some true legends with PJ Souls and uh, Tony Todd there. Uh, man, what was that like just to, to be able to, to get to work with those two? It was incredible. Um, <laughs> I was, yeah, it was, it was, it was pretty surreal especially how it all happened. It was just like, uh, back to, to Fright Rags, uh, Ben, who owned, Ben Scrivens, who owns Fright Rags, had done some stuff with PJ. And so, and this is true, a lot of people don't believe this when I say this, but when I wrote the script, I wrote these characters uh, that, that Tony and PJ play, I wrote them with them in mind, like specifically. And the idea of getting them was so out of reach. It wasn't even, it was laughable. And so when I was talking to Justin Mabry, I was like, yeah, like this is sort of picture like a PJ Souls type here, you know? And uh, as we're going over the script, and he's like, well, you know, Ben knows PJ. Like, they, they work together. You know, they have like a whole line together. Like, okay, well, what, how does that help me? Is, it, is that something we can, <laughs> can we do that? You know, like, because again, when I first wrote this, it's like, all these guys were so they're just mythical creatures that i'll never be able to work with um and so 
before you know it, Ben reads the script. He loves it. PJ was sort of unofficially retired. Uh, and it was very difficult to get her to read the script. But Ben vouched for me and for the script. And she read it. And so she basically you know, came out of hiding to do candy corn. And when I found that out, I was just like, Oh my God. So, you know, she just called me up one day and wanted to talk and get my ideas on the film and stuff. And I was just like, it, it was surreal. But in that first phone call, I was like, you know, she gets it. She's as, as, as amazing of a person as you could ever want somebody to be. And it wasn't, I had to kind of sell myself, but once I did, she was in 100%. And, you know, so, so the same sort of thing happened with Tony. It was like, we had a producer on at one point that got him interested based on the fact that Courtney and PJ and Poncho were, were on board. Turns out Tony's a huge fan of Poncho. And so he was really excited about it. And then like, you know, a year and a half went by, of getting dicked around and not getting the money we were promised. And it was just a nightmare. And so Tony just sort of disappeared. And then I had to, we got the funding and we had like two weeks left to shoot. So I had to try to get him interested again. And it was, it was hard to get a hold of him. So I, I just called his manager. I was like, Hey, I need Tony Todd. Like it was, it was so absurd to me that, he would do this because like getting PJ was like, Oh my God. And then Tony, the candy man, you know, he's like in the crow, the X files, like everything I love he's done. And I refused to, to give up. And that ultimately really, really spoke to him. And he was like, all right, let's do this thing. And so on set, it was, it was great. I mean, you know, I, I designed 99% of the wardrobes myself and made most of them myself. And so working with like PJ on that, it, you know, it was, she told me at first, like I, you know, no one's ever done that since John Carpenter. That's the only other time someone has been this hands on, like, and, and it was sort of like a, I don't know. Do you know what you're doing? <laughs> like, <laughs> this is, this is kind of weird. Like, um, but she saw the wardrobe that I had, picked out for her and the hairstyle I wanted her to have. And so same thing happened with Tony and they just got consumed by it. And I just sort of, they made it very easy to turn off the, Oh my God, it's Tony Todd and PJ souls. And I think once they saw how serious and passionate I was about their characters, I mean, they're, they're, they're both method actors. Like Tony, when he showed up on set, he was Bishop gate the whole time. Like he would even talk to me. And which I love because I, I refer to all there, there are actors in the film that I don't know their names like legitimately because <laughs> I just they're casted and I know the character that they are and that's who they are to me and like I won't and you can ask some of the actors like I won't I won't acknowledge them if they're not in character if they're if we're on set and to somebody who's new or not really into that it, it gets on their nerves but Tony PJ Poncho and Courtney all of them are the exact same way that I am. So it was like the whole time I was working with them, I was literally working with the characters that I created. I think that made it uh, less nerve wracking for me too, because I wasn't looking at the candy man. You know, I wasn't, I wasn't looking at Malachi. It was 
Sheriff Bramford and Bishop Gate, and they, they're my characters that I created. So it was just like I was hanging out with my imaginary friends come to life. Now, this is a really interesting approach. I can honestly say I've, I've spoken to, you know, dozens, if not hundreds of filmmakers throughout my lifetime. And uh, I got to say, I've not, or at least I cannot recall anyone else really being as method with their directing, uh, you know, referring to everyone by their character names and everything. That's that's a very interesting approach. I, I like that. Yeah, I I don't know. It's some Some people loved it. Like Courtney really loved it. I know other people that drove them insane because <laughs> they just, you know, it's just a weird thing. But I, I don't do it to to try to get on people's nerves or to try to impress the method actors. It just helps me. I mean, it really like I like to be just completely in the world that we've created. And to me, it's like you've got 12 hours a day to shoot. I'm not interested in those 12 hours and hanging out with Tony Todd and Courtney Gaines and PJ souls. I'm interested in these characters living in this world. And I think it does, does go a long way, at least for me and from the actors that I've worked with. Um, it, it, it goes a long, long way to, to not break out of that, you know, cause when you're on set, it's like you're shooting a couple minutes at a time, but then you have all this downtime it's very easy, you know, the actors are in their trailers or we're rehearsing and you have, you know, the, the lighting crew and the camera crew and everybody's setting everything up forever. It's very easy just to slip into, you know, so did you see what happened, you know, whatever on the news last night. And then you have to jump back into that uh, character after all of that. And I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I've never really heard of like I wasn't inspired by a particular director who does that or anything like that. Uh, I guess for me, it's more of just a, <laughs> because of how crazy our schedule was, just a way for me to make sure everything's moving as quickly as possible. And uh, and I love the world. I love the world of Candy Corn and Grove Hill. I I'd, I'd spent years trying to get it, you know, to be on set in that world, and I didn't want to leave it. <laughs> well, clearly, your, your passion is very evident. I mean, just from hearing you speak, but let alone anyone who who sees it or when they do get to see it, it is incredibly evident. But you've mentioned it now twice. I, I just have to bring up uh, how difficult actually was it getting going because there was the funding, but there was a law there. There was quite some time where yeah. we didn't hear anything. So mm -hmm. how so, low was that? What was really going on with that? Yeah, it was, it was absolutely awful. Uh, I can't even I can't even describe to you how awful it was. So the crowdfunding campaign, while it was great, because as you said in the beginning, you found out about this project because of that. So it really a lot of people, thanks to all the amazing, so many amazing companies that partnered with us, the word got out. But crowdfunding is fucking hard. Like it is so hard to do because making movies is ungodly expensive. Like it's it's absurd how expensive it is. Things you just don't even think about, especially when you're doing it with union cast and crew, like we, we ended up having to do on this. The, just the minimum rates that everybody has to get paid and the permits and fees, and it's crazy. So we ended up raising enough money to shoot the whole crowdfunding campaign, which went on. We did two two of them, actually. We did the first one during the month of March, 
and then we did another one, I think, in June, maybe. But either way, we raised enough money to shoot for two days in L.A. That was it. So basically, we were we were talking with a producer at the time who was like, you know, yeah, don't worry. You've got enough money to shoot those two days. Shoot those two days, and then we'll shoot the rest of the film in the fall time on location in Ohio. And to me, that was like, oh, my God, yes. That's music to my ears. That's amazing. So we got close. You know, we shot the two days. We shot all the midway that you see in the film. So okay. we went to LA Circus. Everything you see in the midway in the film, just the midway, that was shot over those two days. And, and for those who haven't seen the film, it's spread out through the whole movie, the, the midway stuff is. So we shot all that. We, I mean, we were still working. Like Justin and I were working on props and all, all the effects in the film were practical. So it was nonstop work. Up until about September, it was time to, to, to shoot. And then this producer disappeared. It was just like, fell off the face of the earth. Uh, and so Courtney who had originally vouched for this guy was very irate and ended up finding another investor literally last minute. So like within a week, this guy got us enough money to shoot for four days. That's what we could budget. So I was like, well, it's fall time. We can, we can do this in Ohio. I mean, we had a crew of like maybe 12 people and so all of the exteriors you see in the film, every exterior is done in Ohio a few months after those first two days. And that's where you get all the foliage and stuff. So it was another six to eight months of just regular meetings, regular BS, people telling, you know, and keep in mind, I edited everything we shot. So while we're shooting, I'm cutting all this stuff together and using it to pitch to get more funds. And so at this point, it was like we should have just not shot the first couple of days, should have just taken the money and used it toward raising the rest of the funds, like shown an investor. Here's what we have. Let's let's do the rest. But at this point, it was like we already had piecemealed out so much of the shoot. There's no turning back now. Let's just raise the rest and knock out the rest. And so we kept doing that. I mean, I don't even know. Honestly, I have no idea how many other producers, sales agents, just just assholes that just waste <laughs> your time. I mean, it's true. Like what they say, like, you know, there's a lot of amazing people in, in Hollywood. Some of my best friends live in L.A. I love, I get, I spend a lot of time out there. I love it. But the business of Hollywood, as they, as they sort of summarize it into that one name, is generally just so full of shit like i'm not kidding so many people you meet and it's like it got to the point where i i started just like people would email and be like hey so-and-so told me about this project and you know it sounds like something you might want to get in interested in or you know get on board with and i would just be like yeah before you waste my time what have you done before can you have the money in escrow in less than 30 days like you just change you know you start like not right. believing anyone and that was all because of so many people that were like, we love it. We love what you did. We love what we've seen so far. And we're going to fund the rest. And so you're like a lot of like what you call the lull of when it didn't seem like anything was going on. 
it was like we would have, for instance, someone came on in February of 2018, and they were on board. We signed a contract. Everything was good. And so now the team is working, right? Everybody's back into pre-production for months, for a couple of months. Justin's building stuff. You know, we, we now we are able to cast PJ because we've got money that's coming in and all this stuff. And then all of a sudden, it's June. And then it's July. It's like, okay, well, and then the person disappears. It's just like, yep, sorry, couldn't do it. And then you restart. You start over. So it was so difficult because that's a headache in its own. But for me to have to keep all these people interested who were a part of the film. I mean, dealing with the fans was one thing, you know, and a lot of, most people, most people were very understanding, but I got so many messages. Like if I would post a picture of my dog, I would get comments and messages like, yeah, cool dog. What the fuck is candy corn, man? What are you doing? <laughs> and it's like, I couldn't, it was just absurd. So there's that side of it, but then like just, calling up your DP and your production designer and being like, all right, well, that money we had is gone. Uh, it was never there. We got screwed over again. And I started feeling like, you know, I would preface each call with like, I'm sure you're probably not going to want to be a part of this anymore, but here's what's going on now. And uh, miraculously, by the end of it, you know, we finally got to the point where uh, my friend James from Local Boogeyman I was just bitching to him about it, and uh, my fiance, who's a producer on the film and, and colored the entire movie, she was like, "Just talk to James. Like he's clearly interested. He's not going to bring it up to you. Bring it up to him." So I did one day. I think it was September, and then within 48 hours, all the money we were asking for for the last two years was in the bank from James, and we finished shooting. We did six days in Ohio. We ended up going going back to to reshoot some stuff. Now that we had a bigger crew, and we had you know some more locations to work with, and then we did the last five days, I believe, back in LA in December. And it was just like it just happened, and then all of a sudden the whole movie was done. And uh, I had a final cut by February 18th, I think. There you go. Man. (laughs) Well, it's always so heartbreaking to hear those stories to me. But then the triumph at the end when, when, you know, filmmakers like you with your passion are able to to persevere and and find, you know, what they need to finish it it is always so amazing. And then I can only imagine how gratifying it was for you to actually finally be able to show your cast and crew you know, the completed film, you know, after such a, a long haul and, and so many disappointments. Yeah. Yeah. It felt great. Everyone, it was, it was great. We showed it. So I didn't show anybody anything until, uh, horror hound. We were in Cincinnati, which was great because we shot most of the film around Cincinnati. And so horror hound magazine came out on one of our days there to interview me and, they invited us to do a screening and a panel at their March show. And so that was the first time anyone, Courtney, any of the producers, any of the actors, anyone aside from Lindsay saw the cut was with a sold out crowd at Horror Hound. And it it was amazing. It was, I think, 300 seats in the, the little room that we screened in, sold out instantly. And there were over 300 some odd people turned away that were still in line. 
and Tony was there, PJ was there, Courtney, Poncho, everybody, you know, all the main cast. Um, we did a panel the next day, and it was just like, it was just, yeah, it was amazing for me, but for everybody to be like, not only is it done, but look at the response of people who, who stuck, who also stuck with us. You know what I mean? Right. Uh, and and showed up. And then the other nice thing was I got every person I just told you about that screwed me over or wasted my time, I kid you not, every single one of them emailed me after Horror Hound to congratulate <laughs> me and tell me how great everything, you know, they're hearing everything's so great and proud of me, and I have not responded to one of them. So uh, that that feels good, you know, to, to, to realize, like, you stuck with it and you didn't wait around for someone else to give you permission and that's what you have to do I, I tell people that all the time when people are like you know what's your advice to getting into filmmaking I, all the time i say is there anything else you can see yourself doing well i thought maybe all right we'll do that do that and so whatever you whatever <laughs> you might want to do do that instead because i promise you if this isn't your life it, beyond like a social life, like I've deliberately have not had kids. Like the list goes on of how this has to be your life, and if that's not cool for you, do something else because you'll you'll just fail. There's there's no two ways about it. And I'm <laughs> that is great advice in all honesty. And um, yeah, I I think that's where a lot of people struggle with is. You know, it, it seems like the way the system works now is to be successful, you have to be 100% driven, and clearly your passion is evident. I mean, listening to you speak now, watching the film, it is 100% evident, but I wanted to get back to that real quick. You, you talked about beginning, and um, even earlier you talked about your beginnings, and I, I think it's an interesting story, again, with you that you were accepted into film school and then just chose to teach yourself. Yes. Correct? Yeah. Yes, that is correct. Yeah, I mean, being from Ohio, I thought that was the way in, you know. Uh, go to film school, graduate, meet people, whatever. Um, <clears throat> so I started, I taught myself how to shoot from like way early on, uh, on Super 8 millimeter, and I would, you know, get the cassettes and and send them out and have them processed and developed and digitized and just taught myself to do everything that way just because I, I, I wanted to do it. And so that led to me kind of having a pretty good understanding of, of the basics of filmmaking. And so yeah, I got accepted to film school in New York and I was talking to a guy who graduated from there and was actually now living back you know, be, between Ohio, where he was from, I met him at like a, a baseball game or something, and just so happened to be telling him about it. And he was like, I'll, "I'll never forget it." He was like, "Oh, don't do that. Do not go to film school, man." He's like, "What, what do you want to do? Do you want to work for other people, just running a camera, working in film? Because that's that's where you go to film school for. If you want to direct and make your own stuff, don't waste your time and money. Like you're just going to be there for years in debt. Take all that money." buy a camera, a nice camera, buy some editing equipment, and just start shooting. Don't worry about scripts. Don't worry about... You know, it's funny because now that's like 
now that I'm obsessed with David Lynch years later, that's his, you know, Robert Rodriguez and Tarantino. That's all of their, that's what they say. You know, don't go to film school. What the fuck are you going to learn there? You know, the same thing everyone else in your class is learning. That's, that's not how filmmaking is done. So get a camera, get an editing software and just start shooting, figure out your style and your voice. And, and that's what I did. And, um, yeah, I, I, I'm very grateful that for that guy giving me that advice and for doing that because most people that work that worked on candy corn all went to film school and i've talked to them about that and of course there's people who you know ari aster people like that that went to film school and you know have are doing all right but uh it's not the only way to do that and i think certain people such as myself I could barely make it through regular school. Definitely couldn't <laughs> sit in a classroom with somebody telling me, you know, <laughs> how to uh, how to be creative. You just you, you can't teach that. I 100% agree there. Um, I did actually start going to school, and I actually ended up dropping out for that very same reason because they can teach you techniques, but they can never teach you how to be creative. That's yeah, 100% you. on you. Yeah. Well, and the technical stuff there, you know, I tell, I have an assistant editor that went to the LA film school and, you know, when I, when I get fired up when we're together and I start talking about this, like he gets like really like, you know, he's graduated now, but a couple of years ago he would be like, man, should I, should I quit? And I'm like, no, because you don't want to do what I want to do. Like you want to learn the technical stuff. You want to know, you know, how to work inside of, you know, a union editing staff that is you know you're doing dit on set or working on big budget shows like you can't just do that but if you just want to direct something like i wanted to you just want to write and direct and put stuff out there quite frankly if, if, if i wasn't paying my bills to do this now i'd still be doing it and i'd be doing what i was doing before i got here and working some shitty job just to pay the bills so i could get off work and shoot stuff. I did that for years. And that's what I would still be doing. And if this career that I'm fortunate to have starts to take a, take a plummet and I have to get a regular job, I'm still going to be doing this. And that's, that's the difference. You know, if you, you need technical people. I couldn't have made candy corn without my DP who went to film school and could say, well, that's a great idea, Josh. Here's how you actually do that in real life, you know. And I've and I and I've learned a lot of technical stuff through trial and error. Like especially shooting on film, I wish everyone would have to learn to shoot on film because you really do learn a lot, a whole lot. You have to learn. In the you, <laughs> the first couple times you get reels of film back, you know, and it's all garbage. It's blown out or overexposed or underexposed. You realize, oh my god. I really need to learn why that happened so it doesn't happen again. Because it's, it's, you wait weeks. You shoot all this stuff. You can't see what any of it looks like. You have no clue what any of it looks like, especially on 8mm and older 16mm cameras that you know I would have had access to. And so you get it back weeks later, and then it's all gone. It's all garbage. You know, or It's like silhouettes or halos of people. So it forces you to learn what you need to know about the technical side. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, I, the reason I say it is I don't want to just shit on people who, you know, want to go to film school because there definitely is a place for that. But I think my advice is figure out what what your role is. You know, not everybody can be Michael Jordan. You know, so somebody has to be Scottie Pippen. Somebody <laughs> has to be Dennis Rodman. So, you know, figure out which one you are when you take the ego out of it. You know, and uh, yeah, that's it. By the way, it's the only time I'll ever make a sports reference. <laughs> that is, I, <laughs> that's a fantastic one, though, and that's great advice. <laughs> well, thanks. <laughs> well, I don't. I don't think I can. I can beat this dead horse much more. Um, I really. I really hope everyone goes out and checks this film out. But before I let you go, Josh, I just have to know: Is there anything you'd like to to say to the audience out there? I mean, yeah, you know, I just appreciate everybody for sticking with this, like yourself personally. Like, you know, we announced this forever ago, and I know people were frustrated. I mean, there were people who literally made YouTube videos calling me out for stealing the money and said I never planned on making the movie. It was just a big ruse for me to, you know, get a quick 20 grand and whatever whatever you can do with 20 grand for the rest of your life. And, uh, you know, I, I dealt with a lot of that and I stayed quiet because I knew, I knew what we were working on day to day. And while there were a lot of people who, you know, were unhappy and vocal about it, there were so many more who were super supportive. And I try to thank all those people, you know, when they message me on Instagram or whatever or comments, but, um, but yeah, it, it, that really, that means a lot because I, I can't tell you how, how difficult it was to get to this point and to now see the reaction. I mean, the, the amount of people that share this thing and are excited about it and the people who saw the film and love it, it's just like there's, you know, and, and my the film hasn't even come out yet and I already feel like it's a success for me because we finished something against all odds and the majority of people are embracing it so that'd be the only thing i would say is is thank you and if you're in a similar position that i was in uh trying to make this thing you know if you uh if you really believe that it's going to be worth it even if people don't like it if you're going to be proud of it however many years it takes just just do it surround yourself with people who uh are just as crazy as you are and believe that you can do this and uh don't take no for an answer because you're going to hear no a lot, a whole lot. So that's it. That's, that's what I would like to say to people. Wow. And uh, <laughs> I will leave it at that because this has been so, this has been one of the most passionate and inspiring interviews I think that I've had in quite some time. Well, I'm happy to hear that, man. Yeah. I mean, I, I, could, I could talk for another hour. This has been great. <laughs> I appreciate it. No, I appreciate it. Um, uh, best of luck with Candy Corn. Uh, and uh, I really can't wait to see what you have in the works. So, A lot. <laughs> <laughs> Always. Cool, man. Yeah, thank you so much. I appreciate it. All right. Thank you. Take care. Right, bye. An Evil Dead TV show? No way. Negan is coming to The Walking Dead. That's awesome. Don't you guys think a werewolf series is long overdue? 
Oh, hello there. Are you looking for coverage of horror on the small screen that you can't find on any other podcast? Then welcome to Evil Episodes Podcast, where we take an in-depth look at horror around the dial, covering everything from today's hits like The Walking Dead, American Horror Story, and The Strain. As well as looking back into the TV horror vault to discuss anthologies like Tales from the Crypt, Monsters, Masters of Horror. Yeah, but do any of those shows have werewolves in them? What movies will become a TV series next? Just how many more seasons will every CW show get? When will they put some damn werewolves on TV? Tune in to Evil Episodes Podcast for all your horror on television needs and more. I need werewolves. Hey, did I mention how Lovecraftian all this actually is? Okay, and we're back. And that was one hell of an interview. I have um, Well, I I enjoyed it. Uh, and, and really just getting into the whole, really, trials of first-time filmmaker is really what's eye-opening to me. Um, I, I did enjoy that interview, though. Um, but here, as soon as... We're done with this little bit. We're going to be joined by the star of the film, or one of the major stars. I consider him the star, uh, Pancho Moller. But really, before we get into that, um, I kind of wanted to discuss Candy Corn. Um, now, Candy Corn is coming out uh, here very shortly, right, Mike? It is. It's... Um well, the theatrical release, I think it gets a very limited theatrical release here on Friday the 13th, which uh, just passed us by, but it will be dropping on um, Blu-ray um, on Tuesday the 17th. Um, and I believe right. right now, if you pre-order it from Epic Pictures or whatever, I think the pre-order price is still fourteen ninety-nine, so you may want to jump on that, people. Absolutely, and um, I, I think the fact that it's actually getting a theatrical release it is nothing to kind of sneeze at. I mean, when is the last time that we've seen uh, a fully independent film like this get some kind of release? I, I think that if you have any option of going to see this in the theater, you absolutely should. Now, uh, as you'll hear in our interview with Poncho, I've actually seen a screener for this. Uh, Josh was kind enough to send it, and uh, I did view it. Um, now, I'm not going to get into any spoilers or anything, but uh, I do want to briefly discuss the film because they were kind enough to give us a screener so we can kind of give you a little bit of a heads up um and first and foremost having already heard that interview i think it's a marvel that they actually finished this film and that it's as flawless as it is uh, and when i say that i mean you would never fucking know the breaks in time between filming segments having watched it I didn't pick up on any of that. It, it it felt and completely seemed like it was all shot and done at the same time. So that is a huge fucking accomplishment. And right right there, them being able to overcome all that and produce the film that they have. Congratulations, guys. That that is fucking amazing. 
Uh, I don't care what anybody says. Top fucking notch right there. Um, and the film, the the story of the film is is uh, one we're all pretty familiar with. It, it's it's a story of revenge, and I, I like that simplistic storyline, and it, it feels very in line with a lot of the the films of the '80s that we're all so familiar with and love. Um, and he, Josh, I mean, uh, puts a lot of the Halloween atmosphere in, and uh, it, it's really a nice feature but one thing i will say that i, I kind of wish they had gone deeper in is, is some of the character work um between uh poncho's character and uh another character i really wish they had gone deeper into that uh really established that a bit more um and i think that could have really pulled at the heartstrings more to understand the relationship between these two and and really kind of understand uh, Dr. Death's character a bit more. Um, but also, I, I think, had they gone a little deeper into the us versus them kind of theme that they, they kind of get going, I, I think that would have played uh, really nicely as well. Um, having said that, uh, I know Josh said that all the effects are practical and whatnot, and the kills are, are all practical. They they are pretty cool, um, but it is a, a low budget film. So don't don't come into this expecting, you know, you're getting it chapter two level shit. I mean, if you are, you're a fool. You're not. I mean, go into this expecting uh, an independent horror film. All right. And I don't think that you'll be disappointed. Um, I can totally see this becoming a Halloween tradition for some people. Uh, I'm not sure I'm quite there yet. Uh, I have pre-ordered it, obviously, as you've heard in the interviews. And, uh, um, uh, sorry, uh, Fright Rags is actually hosting a screening of Candy Corn. And... Uh, I believe I'm going to try and go and attend that. Uh, Josh is going to be there. And uh, I, I think with this one, I, I think a nice theatrical experience with a lot of other horror fans is something that is really going to benefit it. Uh, more like the communal experience. Um, and more so sell you on it, so to speak, do you think? Not necessarily sell me on it. I, I want to experience it in that venue. I, I, I want to experience it that way. Um, because I watched it on my MacBook Pro, mm -hmm. and I, that's just not conducive. Um, I know a lot of people watch films that way, and, and that's fine. I'm that's not, that's not my thing. I don't really get the same experience. And I'm you know, watching it wondering... Uh, how it'll play out on on my big ass TV, mm -hmm. you know how it's going to play out in the theater. Um, but uh, I will say right now, uh, I really like Josh's style. I think not not only the atmosphere, but kind of the tone that he builds and the artistic style that he has in it. Mm -hmm. uh, I appreciate it, and I'm really 
honestly looking forward to what Josh does next because I think he has a lot of the right instincts and a lot of the right impulses when it comes to making films. So I am truly fucking curious. Um, it, it feels slightly Rob Zombie-ish. And when I say that, um, just some of the artistic choices. I'm not saying the quality of the film or anything like that. I'm just saying some of the artistic choices made with the direction. Um, you know, certain scenes where you know the the audio drops out and the music still plays and little things like that kind of struck me. But I, I'm not saying that you're gonna go into this and get Halloween one or two. It's obviously Josh's own style, but some of the artistic choices reminded me uh, of a Rob Zombie film almost. Um, I did enjoy it, and like I said, I want to go see it there, and I've already pre-ordered it. I can totally see this becoming a, a Halloween tradition. That's no bullshit. Uh, but for me, uh, I did say that I, I feel the characters could have been developed a little more. and you know, it, Honestly, if they didn't get fucked over on their their budget and we're actually able to shoot this consistently, especially like Josh was originally promised. I, I think this could have been better. And I don't mean that negatively. Um, but honestly, if this had a bigger budget, I think I could have been blown away by this. I really do. But as it stands, um, right now off the screener, I do give it a, I give it three stars, but I do want to see this again. And I think all of you should check it out. I mean, if any of this shit has piqued your interest or you are looking to become a filmmaker, let's put it that way. If this has always been something that spoke to you, I think you should definitely check this film out and, and see what drive and passion can get you. Because there are so many shitty films out there that can't even carry a consistent story let alone theme or you know style anything like that and a fucking shoot that is back to back you know you, you they had fucking 14 days and shot it consistently and they can't keep anything fucking consistent whereas this one was shot in three different segments over great spans of time and were, was able to tell a consistent story this guy knows exactly what he's fucking doing 100% Whereas there's a lot of people out there that don't. So I highly suggest you support Josh and definitely check this film out. Having rambled and said all that, I don't actually know if I gave my grade, but I give it three stars. Yes, you did say that, too. Okay, I wasn't sure. I wasn't sure, but... Um, yeah, I, I did enjoy it. Um, I think I think uh, the theme is good. I actually wouldn't mind more of this. Uh, so yeah, I, I would like to see more of the Candy Corn Killer. I would like to see more of Doctor Death, and uh, I didn't even mention uh, the cameos in it because they're, they're covered in the interviews. But yeah, you have PJ Souls, you have Tony Todd, and. Um, uh, sorry, I don't have any notes in front of me. The the guy, the kid from um, Children of the Corn. Courtney I know Gaines. people are gonna ridicule me for not knowing that, but Courtney Gaines and the Bird. Yeah. Um. Uh. All really good. All really enjoyable. But I do have to say, uh, I wasn't really in the upcoming interview blowing smoke up Poncho's ass. 
uh, as you see here, I'm giving an honest review of the film. I don't really believe in doing that. I don't like doing that. I, I thought Poncho was really fucking good in his role. I, I think he does some really nice, subtle things with the character. And uh, I'm really, really interested to see more work from him because uh, I do greatly enjoy what he did with this part. So, having said all that bullshit, and Mike not having said anything, no, uh, I'm waiting. I, for I the think Blu-ray, it's man. time. I think it's time to jump straight into the interview with Mr. Pancho Moller, where we will discuss Candy Corn and his other film, Three from Hell. So, enjoy. And after that, we are out of here. So, I hope you guys enjoyed the show. Uh, remember to join us on Facebook, not like, and uh, check us out on Instagram. You know, give us a rating review on uh, Apple Podcasts. Five stars appreciated, but I know Mike's involved, so you know, yeah. one star is understandable. Uh, Rabbit and Red Radio Network for there, and uh, again, thank you all for listening. Check out Candy Corn; it's greatly appreciated. And once this interview's over, just remember, people, keep it creepy. Well, not stay spooky, thank God. This is a test of the emergency podcasting system. Listen to the Psychosemantic Podcast. Politics, movies, and political movies. Find us on Facebook, iTunes. Stitcher, legionpodcasts.com, the Psychosemantic Podcast. Ready to rock and roll. Excited about this. This is the first interview I've, I've had. Really? All right. Well, I'll try and be gentle. Okay. Let's be <laughs> gentle there. <laughs> well, uh, before we really get into it, um, I, I just kind of wanted to to get into your background just a little bit, because um, I think you have an interesting background before you even got into acting. Yes, definitely. definitely. You have one of the most interesting that I've run across. Oh, thank you so much, Sean. That, that means a lot. You know, it's, uh, it's been a hard road, but, you know, we, we obstacle, uh, life gives us these obstacles and we just got to make what what we can out of it, you know. One door closes, another one opens, and that's exactly. the way I live my life. You know? uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but you actually came to the United States as as a child, and yeah. uh, then before any of this, you gained a quite a large amount of notoriety for being a professional skateboard rider. Yeah, yeah, no. All right, let's let's speak about that. Yeah, so <laughs> I was originally born born in Santiago, Chile, and uh, I migrated to this country with my mother, just single mom, you know. And she remarried when she she got here. She met the love of her life. But yeah, I didn't know a lick of English. I was seven years old, and I I had to learn English. And so now I'm fluent in both languages. You know, I can transition into both languages, put accents on, whatever. But because I learned English when I was so young, I don't have an accent when I speak. Whereas, so my mother, she learned English a little later, and uh, she has a very thick Chilean accent. But yeah, I, I was very competitive as, as when I was younger, and I didn't really 
look at myself as a little person. I just looked at myself as just a normal human being that just was, that loved to, to, to love sports, you know, and it got to a certain age where, you know, I just wasn't being picked for anything. And, uh, you know, and I started to realize why. And, you know, it was hard, but that's when I found skateboarding and skateboarding was so independent. You don't need a team. You can just do it by yourself. And I, I fell in love with it. And as, uh, I had this low center of gravity, so it made it a little easier <laughs> for me to skate and balance and then just learn things. You know, I just, uh, it was all about progression. It was all about motivation. And um, that's kind of what I, how I fell into skateboarding. And soon enough, uh, my friends were like, you should make a sponsor me video and we can send it out to these companies and we'll see what happens. I had no idea what that was. I never filmed anything in my life. So we started filming some stuff and first company I sent my video to, I got sponsored. And from like the age of 16, I was a sponsored skateboarder. I was getting free things. I was getting flown around the world. And by the age of 21, I became a professional skateboarder for Think Skateboards and I was actually the first little person professional skateboarder in the entire world. Um, at the same time that my career was blossoming and, you know, uh, there was another little person skateboarder named Wee Man who I became friends with. And, you know, so we were both like, you know, little people skateboarders that, you know, traveled the world and loved skateboarding and was, we're going to do it no matter even if we were getting paid or not. And so, at being young, you don't really, you know, think about, like, the consequences of, like, you're not going to be able to skate forever, you know, your body's not going to handle it, and at least mine did it, and by the age of, like, 28, my skateboard career slowly started to die down, you know, there was just younger kids doing things that were bigger and just very motivated, very hungry to skate, whereas to my kind of passion for it started kind of dying because, it just became so political and I had these guys that didn't even skateboard, you know, that uh, businessmen that were running the companies that skateboard, which were, were all great people, but they were telling me how to skate and what I needed to do. And that's, that's just not why I started, you know? Right. And so I kind of fell out of it. And then like, you know, with age, you kind of fall out of it as well. And I moved to Los Angeles. I was living in uh, San Jose, California at the time. And I moved to Los Angeles when I was like about 29, 30, as my career, skateboard career, slowly starting to die. And I moved here just to have a fresh start. I was supporting my, my girlfriend at, at the time, who was a stylist. And slowly, I just kind of got a reality check. I got my first job. It was just, it was difficult, you know. And, and then that's when I got to I guess I, I, I would like to say discovered, but because at no point, like, was I ever thinking of being an actor, but, you know, I just kind of, there was some, there was a little bit of passion there. And the job I was working with at the time, um, this, you know, at the Saddle Ranch, I was like a host there and it was kind of a funny job and I had cool friends and stuff, but, uh, uh, managers and all kinds of industry people go in and out of that place. And sure enough, a manager came up to me and asked me if I ever thought of acting. And I was like, I don't know. He's like, we can make a lot of money. And, you know, here's my card, you know, consider it. I could get you work. And so I, you know, took it, took his card home, thought about it for a little bit and gave him a call. And then I started booking jobs and then realized that I wasn't really, I was very passionate about it, but I, wasn't really good at it. It was just hard for me to be vulnerable coming from a skateboard 
background where if you don't try anything, you're 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 like a you're a pussy, you know, or like you know, there's just messed up names for it that we don't use nowadays. Right. But right. um, so it was hard for me to cry, hard for me to just be emotionally vulnerable, and so I had to get training for it. And so I had a friend that took me to one of his classes and. I just kind of started just accepting it and being more vulnerable and just learning a lot about myself that I could use my experiences in life um, to, you know, for, for this acting. And so that's what I kind of started doing. I started learning how to trigger emotions, how to, how to take myself to a place that I was never able to go to before. Or maybe I was, but I just didn't know how. And that's how I fell in love with acting, you know, and that's, I put every. I had in the classes and into just following this path that I, I truly believe in and I, I don't see myself doing anything else but it. So I feel like, you know, that's a strong passion. That's a strong enough passion to have. And now here I am, you know, I started auditioning for movies and booking jobs and, you know, it's been good. It's been a hard road. It's been a long road, but, you know, for some people, it happens right away, and other people, you know, need need the, need the journey. And I feel that's what it's all about for me. You know, well, you having said that, that it's been a long, hard road and everything. I, I just kind of want to point out that this this year or this fall, uh, man, it, it seems like you're really hitting your stride because not only do we have Candy Corn coming out, we have. Uh, three from hell that you're also in yes yes, so yeah this is a huge year for you no yeah i I mean it's hard for me to like even like it's so surreal because it never happened for me you know like this and i I, i'm trying to accept it and like go with it but at the same time i'm still like i can't believe it so it's uh it's i i'm very very grateful you know and to people like rob and people like uh, Josh Hasty that I became friends with, but also saw something in me that I didn't see yet. Well, just real quick, uh, I, I think we were talking about how you came to uh, notoriety worldwide, but for genre fans, I, I think really the one that made people pay attention to you had to have been 31 because that was oh yeah at least for myself that was the film that i saw and i was just like who the fuck is that no offense but that <laughs> yeah no, i mean no. besides no doomhead your character sickhead wow stole the show thank you thank you I'll, I'll i'll let you know how that came about so i auditioned for a movie not knowing what the hell it was it was just you're playing a clown you're a killer clown there was there's dialogue, subtext, dialogue, subtext, dialogue, and you don't really know what to do with that. So I just kind of made it just one big giant monologue and just made my own thing out of it and ended up auditioning for it. The, the lady I auditioned for, Nicole Arbusto, she was, uh, she didn't tell me what it was either. You know, it was all big secret. Right. But uh, all she told me was in the, when I entered the room was, please don't scream and just run around everywhere. And so I was like, okay, that's immediately what everybody else is doing. So I, and I wasn't <laughs> going to do that either. So, you know, she kind of gave me a heads up and I was able to just make this character my own. Now, with that said, I booked the audition and um, 
Then I found out it was a Rob Zombie movie, and I was very, very excited because I was a huge follower of his music as well as his movies. And for when we went to do the, um, the fitting, he told me, he's like, yeah, I'm going to have, because you, you just know that you're playing a clown, you know? And I'm like excited, a killer clown, that's awesome. You know, character actor, that's what I like to do, that's what I love. And then he, and then when he's like, yeah, we're going to have you playing a Hitler, a Nazi Hitler clown. <laughs> I was like, holy shit, is this going to be okay, Rob? Like, you know, I don't know about this. But then I thought, like, if I get to play a killer, like, and, and impersonate someone, why not impersonate one of the biggest mass killers of all time, you know? And so that's when I, I, I accepted it. And then he was looking at my resume at the same time when I'm, like, in this character and this makeup. And he was, and he's like, I see on your resume that you can speak Spanish, you know, and this is why I tell people not to ever lie in your resume, you know, uh, you think you can spit some of the dialogue off in Spanish. I'm like, yeah, sure. Let's do it. And then we went into the testing room and that's when I'm in character and they're testing out how long the makeup takes, uh, what the lighting's going to look like on your, uh, on you, the smoke, everything like that. And all the producers, bunch of the actors are in the room and they're like, all right, just, and they have all the cameras on you. And they're just like, okay, just, uh, Rob was like action, start, uh, saying some stuff in Spanish. And I, obviously I was very hungry. I had all my dialogue down already. And I just started saying some of the stuff in Spanish, but some of it doesn't like translate right. You know, like from English to Spanish. And right. so I started getting in my head, but then I just took a deep breath and I looked around and I was like, nobody in here knows fucking Spanish. I can say whatever the fuck I want and no one's going to know. So I just, I started just saying anything, the worst racist, just sexual fucked up shit I could. And that's when Rob was like, all right, cut. And he comes up to me. He's like, he was like, he lost his like breath. He's like, Oh my God. He's like, that was so fucking awesome. You were so there. Um, we're changing all your dialogue to Spanish. And I was like, oh, shit, really? He's like, yeah, dude, it was just so crazy and fucked up that, like, you don't know what, know what he's saying, but you know he wants to kill you. He's like, it was just, it gave me, like, chills. So I was like, well, are you going to subtitle it? He's like, fuck no, we're not. We're leaving it the way it is. And I was like, okay, shit. So then that's when all my dialogue got changed in Spanish. And you know what? It was really, really, really cool to be able to, like, you know, work with someone like Rob that just kind of trusts you to do your thing. And that's why he hired you and make, make, bring this character to life. So it was a, it was a roller coaster. It was exciting. And it was just like so real, you know, for me. And that's when Rob, like, you know, after we filmed the whole thing, uh, we went in for ADR. He's like, I, you know, I kept all your footage. Your footage was all so good. I kept it all. So, you have to ADR all of the stuff, just little bits and pieces of it. And I got to see all the stuff, and it was the most fucked up stuff I've ever seen. Just, like, seeing yourself be so mean and, like, aggressive and just unpredictable, you know? So that's kind of how Thickhead came about. And as an actor, you always got to kind of create your own inner monologue of, like, to make it believable to you. Because if you don't believe what you're saying, nobody else was would. So what I did was like, I just kind of did my, my history and I did my procedure. And so I looked up like, you know, and uh, a lot of like, you know, like people, like a lot of the people like Nazis that didn't die in the war, they, they migrated to places like Spain, South America, Argentina, Chile, and Chile is where I'm from. 
So I just kind of came up with this whole thing that Dr. Joseph Mandela like migrated to Chile. He got away. He found this little person, and he just brainwashed them, gave them electric shock therapy, and made them this hateful, hateful motherfucker, you know. And that's how sick it came about. That's basically my inner monologue of how, why a Nazi spoke Spanish. And that's how I was able to, like, make Thickhead, I guess, just out of his mind, if that makes any sense. No, it totally does. Actually, you, you having said that, it's kind of like, I, I'm, I'm sitting here listening to you, thinking to myself, it's like, we, we almost need that spinoff. We need the Sickhead yeah. movie leading up to 31. Oh, yeah. I mean, it, it, could, it could be great, you know. I mean, that's all up to Rob. But, uh, yeah, you know, and it was crazy, like, when we when uh, in, in doing the sick head character, because once the movie came out, there was a lot of people like the whole classic Rob Zombie fans and horror fans loved it. But there was other critics up there out there that were super, super offended by this character, you know? And so it was like, I had to like, I felt like I, I had to stop reading reviews because some of them were just kind of destroying me as a person. But if they're writing about me, that means obviously I'm on their mind. So that was, that was, how I kind of accepted it. Well, absolutely. And like I said, you were easily the, if not the standout, the second best thing about that film, at least performance wise. I, I mean, I was blown away. Thank you. Thank you so much. You know, and it, it was really neat for me to like do this, but also the aftermath of all of it was being, uh, brought into this whole horror convention world where you <laughs> go and meet all these awesome fans that, you know, who I feel like some of them aren't accepted in the world, real world, but then they come here to this convention and they can be themselves and they just love horror and just love, like, just, they, they have great questions and they're so loyal that uh, I really, I don't know if I ever would have brought it, been brought into the world if I didn't work with Rob, you know? So you having said that, I have to ask, were you really a, a genre fan before 31? I, you know, I, I was a genre fan and I, and I, I mean, I love rock movies and I loved a lot of horror movies. I mean, and I, that's what I grew up on, but I just didn't know about that world as far as like convention and like the fans. It's like, it's like Comic-Con, but for horror, you know? Oh yeah. Yeah. It's a whole different world. <laughs> Yeah, no, and it was great, you know, and it, it was great to kind of just meet these people that I had no idea existed, you know, and had so much love for for the director, for like the for the cast, and just for the movies, for the genre in general. So I am blessed to say that, you know. Well, not only did you get to experience all of that from this, you met Josh. Um, yeah. And, and you you became part of his feature film, Candy Corn. Yes, exactly. I met John, Josh on set during, uh, he was filming the back behind the scenes documentary of the making of uh, 31 called, uh, in, in Hell, Everybody Loves Popcorn. So that's how I met Josh. And he was great. He was everywhere, you know, when we were shooting 31. How did he really uh, pitch you Candy Corn? How did that come about? Um. Well, you know, he, he loved, like, we just kind of got along. We just kind of connected when we were doing 31 that he just kind of, I, I stuck to him, you know, and I was on his mind and 
we, we became friends and he just kind of gave me a call and was like, Hey, I got this idea for this movie. He kind of gave me the, the rough synopsis of it. Gave me Dr. Death's character. And I had no idea that he wanted to make me one of the leads. And he's like, I, I think that we could, you know, make something great together. Uh, we don't have the financing for it yet, but I, I think I want to uh, create a sizzle reel and I, I want, we want to pay you to come out here and we want to, we, we want to just kind of see what, where it goes from there. He sent me like a little script of what he wanted for the sizzle reel to, to be kind of like a fundraiser. And this was like three years ago. And so like right after 31, a little bit after 31, and so I kind of became a part of this project from the beginning and we did a sizzle reel. We created a little fundraiser thing of, uh, of, uh, of candy corn, just a little teaser. And then, and ended up getting some hype and created a following. And then slowly we started within the last three years, we would film like little scenes when we raised enough money for, you know, and Josh was very meticulous in what he wanted to film to, you know, to be able to showcase without giving too much of the film away, but create like a, like a cliffhanger of like, I want to see more. I want to see more. Josh is a genius in that way. And so we were able, like within like two, two years, we were able to find distribution. And so we had the whole half of the film made, made but then we had to do a, a, the other half, like a, a year, a year and a half later, you know, so it was, that's kind of how Candy Corn came about. But I was just um, so happy, like, to be a part of this, like, passion project and be, that was with my friends, like, with Justin Mabry and with uh, Josh that uh, then we brought in Courtney Gaines and then Tony Todd and then PJ Souls. It slowly started to grow. But to have something grow, like, from just being something so little to something that became bigger than us, like, was just kind of, awesome you know it, it was uh i can't believe it still happened you know it literally was a passion project that became this huge like what i believe is going to be a cult classic oh i agree have you had a chance to see it or have you had the chance to see uh three from hell yet or any of that uh three from hell i have not uh josh was actually kind enough to send a screener so i have actually seen candy awesome. corn awesome dude so you, you, you enjoyed it. Oh, absolutely. It's like, it's like the perfect Halloween treat, you know, it's simple. It's, you know, it's just, it's dark. It's, you know, got that eighties feel, which I, I feel a lot of people are, uh, are, you know, like loving right now. And so, and you know, it's Grindhouse, you know, but it's not all Grindhouse. There's a story behind it, which I believe is uh, pretty awesome. And Josh, like Rob Zombie was able to, I believe was able to, make a hero out of a villain you know which is which is hard to do i i think it's easy especially well not easy but i i think it's easier in the horror genre because so many uh, of the fans so many of the people that are attracted to it do feel like the outsider yeah so exactly. it, it's easy to kind of tap into that and uh yeah, I, I, I think I, I i i think that too yeah, and, and I, I think he did an excellent job with, with uh, tapping into that. Not only that, but, but uh, uh, really showcasing the, the Halloween fall season. Oh, I know, I know. He, uh, he, he really wanted, like, even, like, for, like, the, the fall stuff that you see in there, like, the Halloween stuff, that was all shot in his neighborhood. He had this vision of, like, wanting it to be 
something that happened in his town in Ohio, you know? So he was very meticulous with like, we have to shoot all, all the trigger treaters, all, all that, all that scenario, all because that's how it looks in his town, you know? So after the sizzle reel, what was it really like for you to, to realize, uh, the, the, the role you were actually undertaking for candy corn? After the scissor reel, we were able to uh, get 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 some financing a little bit, you know, from like the donations and stuff that the fans made that wanted to be a part of Candy Corn, and we were able to shoot other scenes. But it was such a I I like that it was a slow process because it it made me kind of like really think of like this Doctor Death character, what I want him to be, what Josh's vision is for him, and. I can, I, like, my idea for Dr. Death was just to have, like, a very calm, confident, arrogant character who, you know, has been a part of this traveling freak show for his whole life. He was born into it, and whoever works for him becomes his instant family, you know, and he, he's encountered lots of things, lots of uh, hardships and learned at the same time, and so the freak show is, he takes it very seriously and he'll do anything to protect it. And Josh had an idea of like, you know, he, he's very into the blacklist and he's, and I was into the show Carnival and, and also um, I really liked the show Godless, which was uh, Jeff, Jeff Daniels in it. So my right. idea was to make him, you know, like a mix of like blacklist James Spader with Jeff Daniels, like dark, kind of just like calm character, but he knows more than anybody in the room, you know? And that's kind of like, that was our approach to make him calm because, I mean, Sike was out of his mind. He looked like he was on drugs and that was great and it worked a lot. But for someone that's running a traveling show that's that's got a lot of age on him, that's got like, you know, years and years of experience in this, we, we, we needed to, we, that's, that's kind of the process we took for for Dr. Death. So what has really been the reception that you've seen so far for Candy Corn? Because I, I know it premiered at Whorehound and uh, kind of amongst fans. So I'm just kind of curious, what is the reaction you've been, you've been getting? You know what's crazy is the reaction that I've gotten. Like, I mean, when it premiered at Whorehound, it was awesome. It was the first time I ever got to see it. A lot of like the cast was a was there and that was their first time but but what i got out of it from there after like the day after people that people that did go and see it is some people like were really um i don't i don't obviously we can talk about it but a lot like a lot of the girls that came up to me afterwards they were like we love your character i have a son that's you know like autistic or you know like challenged in some way and we loved how like it made us cry because like you were like and so like you were so defensive like of Jacob and you know the way even though you had him do what he did it was like, like we accepted it and we thought it was the right thing to do because of the the, the the way Josh approached it the way Josh directed and and edited it you know and so kind of that's that's the reaction I've gotten from it especially when you're filming these things you know the other cast but you don't know like what their approach is going to be on it. You know, the script, you know, you can only imagine. 
and the choices that uh, Nate Cheney made to play Jacob, especially before he became, um, the, the, you know, the killer, were, were awesome. It, right. it, it fed me, you know. It fed me, and it, and it made that happen, and that's kind of awesome, you know, like where you had no idea that's where it was going. So that's kind of the reaction I got, and so that's kind of a, a blessing in itself to, like, kind of be, like, the defender of, like, these people that, you know, have their own issues, as we all do. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, again, I, I think you, you absolutely nailed the part. Um, from here, I, I, I'd be remiss not to mention Three From Hell. Oh, yes. Now, as I said, I haven't got the chance to see this one yet. Um, what can you tell us about your role in Three From Hell? Obviously, you guys know it's a follow-up to the House of a Thousand Corpses and the Devil's Rejects. Right. I, get, I got the chance, you know, it was, it was really like, you know, like Rob wrote me into the movie and I got just like, I didn't have to audition for it. He kind of, he texted me and he's like, no, he emailed me and it was kind of great. He was like, hey, hey it's movie time again. And uh, I'm doing a, a follow-up to uh, The Devil's Reject, the sequel. And I, I, I wrote a part for you. Are you interested? I'm just like, are you fucking kidding me? Yes, <laughs> yes, I, I, I will do anything. Like, what the, what's going on? You know, because you do your things and then you forget, and then you stay in contact with people through email. No one talks on the phone no more. You know, you wait for things to come out. So it's like a, a whole game of patience. But and then after he he uh, he he, I was like, yes, of course I would do. I yes, what's the character? And he's like, all right, he's uh, he's a humble soul, and he uh, he's a muralist. In, in a small town in Mexico, I'm going to need you to speak Spanish again. And, and he ends up becoming friends with like the, the, the lead characters of the, the region, uh, you know, like Sherry's character, Rich's character, Bill's character. So I was like, yes, of course that, that sounds awesome already, you know? And then, um, and then he also sent a text, like, uh, an email saying, this is going to sound a little weird, but um, is it possible for you to grow your beard out? Like, I'm like, yeah. So I grew my beard for like two months and it's super long. And of course, and if you want to be in one of Rob Zombie's movies and play one of the villains, you should have a beard. It's going to work. <laughs> <laughs> so my character's name is Sebastian. He's a humble soul from a small village in Mexico. He's definitely been beat down by life, but he has a large scar running down his face and he wears an eye patch. He's a, he plays a local hotel manager's assistant, as well as he's the town muralist. He paints all the beautiful paintings in the town. It's like his freedom. It's his independence. He doesn't have much, but he, all he needs is a paintbrush, a wall, and, you know, some paint. But also, he stumbles upon the devil's reject, and he develops a really, really strong friendship with Sherry's character. And, where it's the first time he's ever felt accepted in his life. So that's kind of all I want to say about that because I want to, I want you to be able to see that, that the rest of it. But uh, I had a really, it was a really great experience. It was the complete opposite of Sickhead, which, you know, as an actor, you always want to be able to showcase range. You don't want to be pigeonholed into one thing, you know. I don't mind being in the genre, but being able to play different characters is like my thing and, Rob was like really awesome in giving me the opportunity to, to know, to do that. So yeah, it's, it's, it's going to be badass, man. 
Well, I'm excited to see it. Um, Poncho, I just have to ask before we let you go, uh, two things. Of course. Uh, first, what would actually be your dream project? What would you love to do? Um, you, you touched it earlier, you know, a prequel to, uh, you know, Sickhead's character. You know, that would be awesome to do. That would be great because, you know, uh, Sickhead just kind of came off so evil, but I would love for people to know, like, why he's that way and he wasn't like that always, you know? And so, like, how, like have a build on that. But also, I would love, like, my dream project would be to work with, like, people like Martin, uh, or, like, people like Martin Scorsese or even more so uh, Quentin Tarantino. I, I love the kinds of things that he does, you know, and, and the kind of films that he produces. But, you know, that, that, that would be my dream project. And to work with people like Taika with TD. Um, yeah, I mean, I would, I, 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 I like more independent things. But obviously, like, you know, you, you take what you get, you know. At least that's, I'm not on the other level where I can just pick and choose. So you take what you get and you make the best out of it. and You embrace it and, you know, bring it to life. Absolutely. Well, after, after this year, I, I think, uh, at least genre-wise, you're probably going to have the ability to pick and choose films. Oh, no, that, that, that would be great, you know, I mean. Um, acting is, it's a hard job in the sense of the stability of it. You know, um, I hope and I believe, as you said, that after these two movies come out, I think it will be a little easier, you know, I mean, for any actor, you know, that, like this is like one movie comes out once on the 16th, the other one comes out on the 17th. It's, it's insane, you know, <laughs> <laughs> so close. Like talk about like too close for comfort, man. Like, geez. <laughs> Yeah, you're competing with yourself. Was it like planned out this way or what? Jeez. <laughs> well, it's the week of Moeller. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yes, it will be. Well, my last question uh, before I let you go, what would you actually like to tell the audience out there? I would like to tell them first and foremost to go and watch these films. <laughs> they're they're going to be mind blowing. They're, I mean, Rob's. One for me, one of my favorite Rob Zombie films was The Devil's Rejects, and to have a follow-up to that, I mean, you want to know what happened, you know. So watch that film. Be sure to watch it, and uh, go take a look at Candy Corn because Josh, being you know new to like you know this is his second indie film to produce, but Josh is a genius. He's a genius, and I think people are going to really love this. They're gonna, they're gonna, they're gonna affected by it and they're going to understand it and i think people need to you know watch movies like this just to kind of take them out of like kind of the messed up things that are happening in the world right now you know and i think that uh it's going to be uh, a roller coaster and go watch these movies and thank you for your love and support and you know we wouldn't do this without you i wouldn't be able to be where i'm at without the fans so thank you so much. And yeah, go watch our movies, man. You're gonna love <laughs> thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to sit down and talk to us. Um, and I hope this wasn't too bad of an experience for your first interview. No, not at all. I mean, I, I'm still learning in the process, you know, sometimes like 
you know, you just got to answer the question and move on to the next one, you know. And my, my problem is I, I, I tend to keep talking because I don't know when to stop. I'm like, all right, you want me to stop or should I stop now or I can keep going, <laughs> you know. So, yeah, no, it's, uh, it's been a very wonderful experience. Thank you so much for making it, you know, safe, you know. And, well, hey, it, it, thank you for doing this. And it was, you had great questions. I really enjoyed it. And I hope, you know, the fans like it. Oh, I hope so, too. And I, I really can't wait to, to see what you have uh, next for us. Well, hopefully it's some comedy. <laughs> I, love, <laughs> I, love, I love comedy, I swear. But for some reason, people like putting me in um, these horror films where I get to be mean and evil or, you know, or, or you know, complete opposite. But, yeah, it's, all, it's okay. It's all good, man. I love it all. As an actor, you should be able to hit any obstacle that comes in front of you, and that's kind of what I believe, and that's how I've been trained, and let's bring it on. Let's do it. <laughs> well, like I said, man, you, you fucking killed it, and uh, I, I'm excited. I'm excited to see Three From Hell, and I'm excited to see more of you, so hopefully we'll get to uh, talk again in the future. All right. Sounds good, man. Thank you so much.
<gasps> that was horrible. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You too could have the chance to win life-changing cash prizes. Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice of the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner. 